Pray with me, Father, I pray now that you would open to us the scripture that we might um, again hear about the greatness of your loving heart. So prepare us to hear it, to receive it, to live it. And this we pray uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And turn, please, to Hebrews in chapter 6. I want to read again just verses 9 through 12. Hebrews uh, chapter 6, please. Hear the word of God. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Uh, For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience uh, inherit the promises. It's taken me four Sundays to get through this particular passage, and I finally figured out why, in addition to just my sort of slowness to get the point. But uh, to be very honest, I think the reason this passage is so compelling, at least to me, is because it expresses my desire for you more than anything I could ever think of. And not only for you, but, but for me. And not only for you and me, but really the world that we would inherit the promises of God and therefore that we would live by faith and patience of all those who've gone before us and have inherited such promises. And we would be uh, people, therefore, who would be earnest about having this full assurance of hope until the end, that we would maintain hope, knowing that good uh, is, is going to come uh, to us. I, I could think of nothing better than to desire that for you. That's what keeps me awake at night on your behalf and even on mine. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Florida visiting our parents. Uh, and this is my desire for them, our parents, Karen's and mine. Age range from 80 to 86 Since Karen's mother listens to these sermons on tape, I should not fail to mention that she's the one who's 80. She's the youngest and is rather pleased with that. But this is my desire for them. As as health fails, as memory isn't as sharp as it once was, as financial concerns begin to come into play, as strength begins to wane, as death becomes closer. My desire for them as I see them is that they would continue to live in faith and patience, that they might inherit the promises, that they would live with such full assurance of hope that they know they belong to God. I think about that on the sort of other end of the spectrum, if you will, for my kids as I've seen all of them recently. Sarah was with us in Florida. Josh, we were just with Josh and Nicole the last couple of days in Des Moines. And Gracie, of course, is close by K-State. As I see my kids, my heart's desire for them is they would live by faith and patience and inherit the promises, that they'd be earnest about loving God and serving the saints, even the least of those, and therefore live with this full assurance of hope right into the end, to know that they belong to God and to know, to expect with certain hope that all the promises of God belong to them. 
I think about that for Karen and for me and for you. I think about it even for these hurricane victims as I've been praying for them. What, what should we be praying for them? What is our hope? What's our desire for them? And our ultimate desire, my ultimate desire, isn't that simply they would, they would go back home and their homes would be rebuilt. That'd be great. But you know, another storm could come. They can't live in the full assurance of hope that they'll be safe in New Orleans. And, 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 and I can't even desire for them that their relocation, if that's what takes place, if they go to another part of the country, that that goes well. Because, because who knows what could happen there, wherever they relocate. Could you imagine if they relocated to Kansas during tornado season? There's no real full assurance of hope that homes will last here any more than in New Orleans or in California as they slide off into the ocean or whatever happens in various parts of the world. You see, there isn't that kind of, that kind of hope. I can't even... Uh, desire that they're able to put their hope fast in the government to relieve their situation, or frankly, even the church. To do that, they'll be failed on those counts. My desire for them is they put their hope in God. You see, they live in the able to live in the full assurance of hope, and, and that they would show the same earnestness. You see, and not be sluggish, but imitate those who, through faith and patience. Inherit the promises of God. Inherit uh, eternal life. And so I think that's what's compelling me to linger here uh, so long. In addition to all the questions that have unfolded as we've considered this passage, we ask, what is the full assurance of hope? And we answered by saying it's the confidence, the certainty of all the good that God has promised will come, will be true in the context of our life. Ultimately, that means an eternal life living not under His wrath, but one day being blessed by His very presence for all eternity, living in a, in a, in a, a new earth, uh, under a new heavens, uh, that's ruled by God where His kingdom is, is complete. Uh, that's this, this hope that we have that this good, uh, this good will come. And, and we said, well, is it reasonable to think that we can live with that kind of assurance? And the answer is yes, because our salvation is secure in God, because He's the one uh, who brings it, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, then Scripture tells us that the very one who calls us is faithful and he will bring it to pass. So our trust is in him. Therefore, it is reasonable to think we can live in this full assurance of hope. And then we ask the question, what then is the relationship between this full assurance of hope and, uh, and living in love for God and in serving the saints. And we said, well, it's, 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 it's this serving of the saints, loving of other believers that is evidence that God's grace has worked in us. In fact, that was the very assurance that the author of Hebrews had in looking to them, that God was faithful, He was just, and he saw evidence of God's grace in them as they, for Christ's sake, served the saints. And Jesus said that by this all people will know that you're my disciples, that you love each other. And uh, First John reads that uh, by this we know that we've passed from death to life if we love each other, if we love the brothers. And so that's evidence of God's grace in us. And that brings to us this sense of assurance that we belong to Him even as we meditate, meditate on His promises and trust, in, and trust in Him. Now this week I have two more questions that we'll answer uh, together. Mostly from verses uh, 11 and 12. The first question is this, what's the relationship between this full assurance of hope and imitating those who through faith and patience inherit the promises? You'll notice in the version I read is the English Standard Version because I like what it does mostly with conjunctions. Sorry, I'm into conjunctions. Um, but in verse 12, 
You don't have this in the NIV. You have it in the New American Standard, simply the word that, I believe. But uh, I don't know why the NIV leaves it out. It shouldn't. Um, a so that. So verse 11 is, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the first question that comes to mind from this is, what's then the relationship between having this full assurance of hope and being able to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises? That is, continue to persevere. The little so that. Full assurance of, faith, of hope so that you can imitate those who've gone before us and inherited the promise, living by faith and patience. My second question is, what does patience have to do with this? I mean, faith makes sense. We, 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 would say, we would think that, yes, by faith they've inherited the promises. But why does he say, who through faith and patience? Why do we need patience in order to live out this life and thereby inherit the promises, all right? That's where we're going. The answers will come like this. I'll say this twice so you will get this, perhaps, and then we'll, we'll do it. But the answers will flow like this. First of all, faith is necessary for salvation. Secondly, faith secures hope. Thirdly, hope is necessary for patience. Fourthly, patience is necessary for our lives, given the nature of the Christian life. And fifth, this is all borne out by those who have lived by faith and patience before us. All right? The answer to those two questions, I don't know if you can remember those questions now, but the answers to those questions, first of all, faith is necessary for salvation. Secondly, faith secures, even breeds, we could say, hope. Thirdly, hope is uh, necessary for patience. Fourthly, patience is necessary for our lives, given the nature of the Christian life. And fifth, this is all borne out by those who have lived this way and thus inherited the eternal life, inherited the promises of God. All right, first, faith is necessary for salvation. Uh, I, I think we're pretty solid on that. If you're a believer in Christ, you know that's what the Scripture teaches. In fact, logic, I think, necessitates the understanding of that, especially logic informed by the Holy Spirit. But still, faith is necessary for uh, salvation. We know this just very quickly uh, from common passages in the Scripture. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The lips of Jesus. And then again, uh, John chapter 5, verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him um, who sent Me has eternal life. Believing by faith. Uh, he does not come into judgment but has passed from death uh, to life. Then John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of, uh, to, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You see, salvation is received, if you will, uh, by faith. Again, Jesus in John chapter 11, as he's talking with Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus who had died, and he's about to raise from the dead, he said to Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Uh, do you believe this? The Apostle Paul affirms this even as he, as he teaches this. For instance, in Romans in chapter 3, verse 21, he writes, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to, us, to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Again, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, lays this out in, in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Uh, he says very clearly, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So it's a gift of God that we receive this salvation by faith. And the reason that I say it's also logical is, is because who, at least for me, in the right mind, would think that he or she could stand before God and plead his or her own case before God on the basis of his or, own, his or her own goodness. And say, God, you should receive me because this is how good this is how righteous I have been. You see, when we say that faith is necessary for salvation, what we're saying is we're casting away our trust in ourselves and our own goodness, and we're trusting in, first, the blood of Christ, that His sacrifice paid the penalty for our sin, and secondly, in Christ's own righteousness, that His goodness is given to us. And thus we stand before God in faith, faith in Christ, linked to Him by that faith, so that He stands for us. So faith is necessary for salvation. But faith, of course, also secures, or we could say even breeds, hope. Because you see, hope means that we have this expectation of good. Hope is, is sort of like faith on tiptoes. Faith believes the promises, but hope's looking for them to come to pass. And hope is certain. This isn't a, a hope like, I hope it, it stops raining, or I hope that it keeps raining, whatever your hope may be. I just hope it puts off, well, well God can do what he wants, but it's a lot easier for me to preach without it. But, um, but hope is, is this certain anticipation knows for sure because it's linked to faith. And faith is linked to the promises of God. And the promises of God are linked to the character of God. You see, he can't lie. And so faith believes because God tells the truth. And faith believes what God says and what God does in Christ and trusts and relies upon that. And, and that brings with it these promises of good to come. And so hope says... Because I believe in Jesus, my hope, my certainty, what I know to be true, is that regardless of what I see, good will come, because God has said that He will work all things together for good, for those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose, His purpose to conform us to the image of Jesus. So that's my hope. My hope is that because I belong to Him, I believe I belong to Him, by faith I belong to Him, so my hope is that when I pray, He'll hear me. I know that 
the various circumstances that come into my life are not judgment from God, but discipline from a loving Father. And I know that, and that is my hope. I anticipate the good that would come from the discipline rather than the wrath and the punishment and the pain that will come simply from His judgment. That's our hope, you see. And when we die, our hope is that that good that we have believed, that good that we've anticipated, eternal life, and all of that will be ours. So, faith is necessary for salvation. Faith secures or breeds this hope. Now, hope is necessary for patience. Okay, hope is necessary for patience. My dictionary, Webster's Dictionary, I don't know if I can trust it because I got it in college and it doesn't have the word laptop in it. Um, or internet or any of those words. I don't know why not, but it doesn't. So I think I can trust it, though, because patience existed, or at least was supposed to exist, even back in the 70s. Uh, but my dictionary defines a patience like this. It says, the will or ability to wait or endure. I wish I could stop there, but I can't. There's, there's two more words. So it's the will or ability to wait or endure without complaining. That's, that's patience, you see. Now really, in order to do that, in order to wait for something that is good, in order to wait and endure whatever it takes for that good to come, must mean, and without complaining, must mean that first you know it's going to come. You're secure in that because if you're not, then you'll grumble about it. You'll be anxious about it. You don't know if it's going to come or not, but you need it. And it's going to be good. It's going to satisfy your life. It's going to complete your life. And you know it's necessary to come. But, but, but unless you know it's going to come, then you can't really be patient. Secondly, you really need to trust that the timetable for its coming is, is good. That it will come just at the right time. If it hasn't come yet, you, see, you, you know what it's like when someone promises to send you a package and they'll say it's Tuesday, it'll be your Tuesday, and it doesn't come on Tuesday and it's Wednesday. How complaining you get because it hasn't come on time. And now it, it creates this, this anxiety within you. Is it really going to come at all? And so you need to be able to trust that the timetable is good. Thus you're trusting the one who's making the promise. And then thirdly, you must really believe that this good that is to come is worth the wait. That whatever it is that you have to do without for now, that whatever it is that you have to endure for now, it'll be worth, it'll be worth the wait. And so you see, that can only be true when there's this hope, this certainty that good is going to come. This hope that the one who's made this promise is really faithful and knows exactly what he's doing and will bring it right on time and that whatever uh, time it takes will certainly be worth the wait because the good that's to come is worth everything. And that, of course, is true in the promises of God. That, of course, is true in the context of our, of our eternal life. It is that good. And God is that trustworthy. And then finally this. That you see that patience that comes from hope, that's bred by faith, which is necessary for salvation, this patience is necessary because of the nature of the Christian life. 
Because, you see, we haven't received everything that we're going to receive. Now, we've received a, a, a ton as believers in Christ. Uh, it means that we have been justified. As a believer in Christ, it means you've already received what the Bible calls justification, which means that God has declared you pardoned. God has declared you forgiven. God has declared you righteous in His sight. And He's done all of that because you're linked to Jesus. And in being linked to Jesus, as I said a few minutes ago, means that His blood covers your sins. Thus, you're forgiven. You're pardoned your sins. They've been paid for. There's no case against you in heaven. It's blotted out. It's gone. All right? His wrath has been quenched, satisfied, exhausted, ended, whatever words you want to use there to say it's no longer there. He's, he's no longer wrathful against you. You're no longer under it, but rather under His grace and blessing. And second, because you're linked to Jesus, of course, then that which is true of Him, that He died once to sin, and that He's righteous, belongs to you as well. So then God can declare you righteous or justified in His sight. Just as if you've never sinned. Just as if you've always obeyed. Justified. Secondly, we know that, that God's Spirit is in us, and so He brings the very presence of God to us and works in us. Thus, he brings a foreshadowing right now into this life. He brings a foreshadowing right now into this life that is really of the life to come because he begins to make us holy. Now, we know in the life to come we'll be perfectly holy. That's probably unimaginable for you to think like that about yourself which is why you need to take that by faith. But that's your hope, isn't it? Your hope every time, I suspect, every time you face a temptation and every time you sin, my suspicion is, if you're like me, your hope is in the life to come. You're going, oh God, I can't wait until this is done. And I no longer think those thoughts and I no longer say those things and I no longer do those things. So that's your hope and it's certain why. Because God has promised it and it's in Christ and it's secure. Therefore, that's your hope. You believe it, you anticipate it, it's for sure. And so we've received, though, a certain measure of this even now as we see God at work in our life, sanctifying us, holifying us, uh, growing us up, maturing us. And not only that, we've received adoption as God's own children, that we belong now to His family. And we see evidence of his work uh, because the kingdom of God is progressing through us. Every time we pray, the kingdom of God progresses. You see. And every time we evangelize, you see, the kingdom of God progresses. And every time we worship, the kingdom of God progresses. And every time more worship with us, the kingdom of God progresses. And every time we work and we live in witness to Christ, and I don't mean simply talking about the gospel and sharing the gospel, but every time we live as a testimony to the fact that we belong to Christ and live as He would have us live in our particular spheres, the kingdom of God is progressing. And that's all the foreshadowing of what's to come. So we've received a great deal. The scripture says we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing that which is to come. Or guaranteeing that it is going to come until we receive the full possession of it. 
And so we know that there's still more to come. That is what we hope for. That's our hope. And we need patience. Now, all of this is made even more acute because we're waiting in the midst of suffering. We're waiting often in the midst of pain and disappointment. And we know that which is to come will satisfy all of that. But it isn't here yet. Under the sovereign providence, by sovereign I mean God is the king and nothing can thwart him. By providence I mean his sovereign actions in all of life, mysteriously, in God's sovereign providence, because we live in a fallen world, all the same difficulties and maladies that happen to unbelievers happen in the lives of believers. We get sick. We die. We lose our jobs. We have trouble in relationships. We get depressed. We get discouraged. We feel insecure. All of those things happen in the context of our lives. And, and while they're happening, we're told to be patient. Believe. Not only that, we, we have evidence, it seems, sometimes to the contrary. That's why even, bless his heart, George Will recently uh, questioned God as an intelligent designer because of the tragedy of this hurricane, most especially what it did to children, for instance. And we look at that and we wonder. And yet God says, no, 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 still hope in me that I'm good, still believe that I'm good, and still hope that good is going to come. And so we're asked to be, have faith and patience Patience, if I may say this, with God, to be patient towards Him. That what He's promised is certain to come, that what He promised will come at the right time, that what He promised is worth the wait. And so we inherit the promises through faith and patience. Not only that, just the difficulty of the Christian life. Jesus said, He who wants to uh, follow me must take up his cross every day. That is, you've got to die. You've got to put to death your pride and your sin and all of that. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. That can be painful. And he says, in the midst of this, keep hoping, keep trusting that good will come and that ultimately it will be mine. Jesus said, because they've hated me, they will hate you. Meaning that we need to have faith and patience to inherit the promises in the midst of a life when we may be persecuted, when people may hate us just because... We belong to Jesus. The Apostle Paul says we must experience many hardships before we enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it seems that this suffering is even built into our lives. I read as our call to worship this morning from Romans in chapter 5, where the Apostle says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace through God, uh, through our Lord Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, if I had been writing that, I would have wanted my next sentence to be, and everything will be great. But he writes this. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. He says sufferings are part and parcel of this time of waiting without complaining because, you know, that it's secure, this good, and it's going to come at the right time, and it's worth the wait. 
More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts and the Holy Spirit has been given to us. He says, wait without complaining, even in the midst of suffering, because it is good that will come. And you've received enough of it to know that. Uh, you know, Hebrews chapter 12, we'll get to it when we get to Hebrews chapter 12, whenever we get to Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, it says the discipline of God is unpleasant at the moment. But it produces something good. And so, if you're going through a time of difficult circumstances, which is the training of God for your very soul, and your own maturity, realize, endure it without complaining. Why? Because good's going to come. You'll receive a righteousness, a harvest of of righteousness and peace. In the midst of this, you need faith, believing that's really true, and patience with God. That it's secure, this good. And it will come right at the right time. And it will be worth the wait. James says we're to count all this suffering as joy. Because we know that it will produce that good in us. Peter says that we rejoice even though we're going through a testing of our faith even now. But that's good because that will give us a great sense of assurance that we belong to God. Paul writes this in Romans in chapter 8. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Patience with God. Trusting Him. How do you do that? Well, we'll talk more about that, obviously, next week, too. Final illustrations. One, from the psalmist, Psalm 42. I read this just as an announcement as we began our worship. Verse 1. The psalmist writes, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He's saying, listen, I desire God more than anything. I want all that's good from Him, and yet I don't see Him. When will I ever really appear before Him? When, when, When will I see Him in His fullness to be able to receive all that my heart knows is mine because I belong to Him? See, that's the the longing of a Christian. We know that a day is coming when all of this will be filled and all of this will be satisfied. And it is to a certain measure, even now so much so, we can can be commanded to live with joy and rejoice. But yet we know that there's a rejoicing and a joy that's to come and a satisfaction that's to come that's going to be 
even greater than this. And so we wait with patience. That's the psalmist's deal. And he's waiting in the midst of pain. Verse 3, my tears have been my food day and night. Well, they say to me uh, continually, where is your God? You see, whatever is making him sad is saying, you know, if God really loved you and he was really there for you, you wouldn't be so sad. You wouldn't be so discouraged. And so our, even, our tears even uh, speak against God, saying, if he loved you, if you were his. These things I remember. So then he starts to remember more than just his tears. As I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them into, in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude-keeping festivals. I remember times of worship. I remember when the community was all together and together we were worshiping God. And so then he, he actually begins to preach to his own soul, which is something we must learn to do. We mustn't simply allow our thoughts especially those wrong ones, to rule our lives. We've got to continue to reprimand wrong thoughts and feelings of our own souls. I don't know about you, but in raising our children, one thing my wife is very good at with our kids is not allowing them to think that which wasn't true. And so when they would say things like, oh, you don't love me, or all those kinds of things kids say, we wouldn't let that pass. It would be time to sit down and say, no, that isn't true. And here's why that isn't true. Don't think that thought. Don't allow your soul to think that thought. And so the psalmist, in, in thinking about, does God really love me? Because I'm so sad. So he, he, he gets very strict with his own soul. And he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? He says, in, in a sense, you get the impression that even though things are bad, he's saying to his soul, there's no reason for this. This isn't true that you should be so downcast. And the reason he gives, he just simply rebukes his own soul. And he says, hope in God. What an expression to live by. Hope in God. God, have a certain, for sure, confidence, anticipation that all the good that God promises will come just at the right time and it'll be worth the wait. Hope in God. It says, for I shall again praise Him my salvation and my God. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago a poet, hymn writer of the 17th century, 18th century, named William Cooper, and I mentioned the fact that he lived a, really a hard life. Ah, one author put his life like this, he said. He was naturally inclined to morbid brooding and worry. He was prey to religious doubts and often fell into depression. The last decade or more of his life was a period of deep gloom and a settled notion that God had cast him off. He lived like that, but there was always in his poetry a sense of hope. Let me read just the words in closing to a hymn somewhat familiar to some of us. It's entitled, God Moves in, Mysteri in a Mysterious Way. First verse, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. So we knew that God was at work, and it was mysterious. We wouldn't be able to see it all. That's why we live by faith. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, never skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. So he says, God is God. He's doing what he's doing. And then he says this. 
yet fearful saints fresh courage take. And you get a sense he's speaking to his own soul in the midst of discouragement and depression. He says, fearful saints, because of all that's going on around, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. That's a wonderful Puritan way of saying that. And then he goes on, judge not the Lord by feeble sense. We often do that, don't we? Think that we can judge God and what he's doing. And so he says, judge not the Lord by feeble sense. And you know, if you read William Cooper's life, he did it all the time. He judged God by feeble sense. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides. I'll get this out. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Now, I wish he hadn't said smiling face, although in the 18th century that made sense. I wish he would have said a kindly face. Because it isn't as if God's laughing at our problems. That's not what he meant at all. But he said, if you could see behind what appears to be the frown of God in the context of this moment, you'd be able to live better by faith and patience because it's a smile of a father who loves, that knows what you're going through is necessary for the moment. And that good will come and you can trust him. And this good will come right at the right time. And it'll be worth whatever you're going through. It's the smile of a parent for a child whose child is struggling, but the parent knows this is just what is necessary. Because at the end of this, they'll be more mature and filled with joy. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Last line. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. That is, you just, if you don't believe, you can't see it. Seeing is not believing, right? Believing is seeing. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain, but God, God is his own interpreter. And he will make it plain. That is, God's the only one who can interpret God. And the truth of the matter is, he lays this out in Scripture tremendously for us as he interprets himself to us. But we do understand that there are secret things that belong to him. And there are things that we won't know until glory. And so we need to live by faith, trusting, and patience. And we shall inherit the promises. Let's pray. Father, be with us grant to us grace to live like that like those we'll see who've gone before us in Jesus name Amen please stand for the benediction as you do I remind you of our Sunday school classes my apologies to our teachers for going too long but I did want to do that very last thing Uh, The response to the benediction is, I hope in Christ. Amen. Please receive this as God's benediction now to him. Who is able to keep you from falling to present you before his glorious presence, blameless and that with great joy. To only wise God and Savior Jesus Christ, to be glory, dominion, majesty and power both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, I hope in Christ. Amen.